Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, a pop music podcast hosted by me, Mark Blankenship, and me, Sarah DeMonte. And Sarah, tell us what we've got on the docket today. Uh, today we have a double bill. Uh, I wanted to start out talking about Janis Joplin's Get It While You Can um, because, well, because I just love the song, but also there is a PBS documentary airing on May 3rd, which I believe is after this drops. Sure. I guess we'll find out. I can't count. It'll probably be on their website, even if this is, even if it's already aired. So. Yes, but um, it got me, it got me thinking about how it's a shame that, like, I feel like every two years they're like, okay, this Joplin biopic, fucking doing it. We've had like a bunch of super talented, like physically apt actresses attached to it, and then like they age out. Yeah. Or they can't sing, or the financing falls through, and then we never see it. Um, but it's like it's almost just as well because she's I mean, she's so amazing. Uh and I always forget until the next time I listen to Janice. Mm. Um this song in particular I used to play this and try a little bit harder over and over again in the summer of two thousand one so that I could feel like connected to someone else who seemed to have had this same kind of heartbreak that I was dealing with. Um, namely that it could have been avoided. And I was, like, really trying not to judge myself for still having feelings for the guy. And it was, like, whatever. It was unnecessarily dramatic, but also necessarily dramatic. And it seemed to me for a, like, two- or three-week period there, like, the restless ghost of Janis Joplin was the only one who saw me. Um, so let's listen to a little of it now. And then we'll talk. You're taking a gamble on a little song brother and the holding company drama with the band and all that stuff drinking the drinking on stage or whatever yeah. yeah and like that she was picked on mercilessly for like being mannish and ugly which i don't get. i mean i don't get it but i was also picked on for being mannish and ugly so that's you know another way that i relate to janice and what everyone forgets about is how she could really fucking sing like she could be in all these different registers. She could jump all these different octaves. She made it seem like no big deal. She was totally connected to this like soul basis of every rock song. Mm. And she was so unbelievably human. Like I love that this, like she goes through this weird sort of zigzagging journey in this song through a whole, like a whole range of emotions about her own, like 
she's plaintive and resigned at some points, but then at other points she's like sex positive and defiant. And then she's trying to reconcile those two things. And it's like everything that I sort of hated about, uh, I don't know how to love him is like, this is the flip side of that Mm -hmm. coin, that this is the same, uh, doubt, the same questioning, the same trying to exist as a woman, in a man's world and trying to figure out love as all humans do. Mm. But in so much more relatable and like there is a bedrock strength to it that I love and it's just a really good song. This is actually not Big Brother and Holding Company. This is the Full Tilt Boogie Band. and Mm. We did not hear this in the clip because I don't want to get sued. But um, that guitar break by John Till is great. Like Mm. it's real, it's pretty small. And it's pretty Jimmy, but it's just right. This mm. is just a really well-built song. Mark? What you're saying reminds me, too, that um, I think that now there's a quote-unquote conventional wisdom that people need to write their own songs in order to really feel their songs. But Janis Joplin did not write this song. It no. had been recorded by other people. And mm-hmm. unlike Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin demonstrates that you don't need to have written a song to own a song and just the way that she sings this song it's like yeah there were actually other versions of this song before hers but then there need not be another one after correct because this is the storytelling the emotional rawness of her singing is so astonishing but it is matched with such technical skill like you were saying yeah it's like this amazing thing where you can feel everything but also feel taken care of in the sense that the artist is not out of control. Yeah. And it's, she's inc- it's just incredible. I think there was also this temptation, like she has her little granny glasses and her little like whatever blue feathers braided in her hair and she's wearing like four dresses on top of one another, which, bless, I think I'm actually going to go try that. There's this tendency to see her as this like hippie, um, not naive, but just sort of this like, like she happened upon her interpretations of these songs like wandered, like bumped into them while she was stoned. And I, I don't think that's the case. Maybe sometimes she would get real fucked up, but But I I think think that she knew her shit too. It's really tempting because she also comes across on some of those famous interview clips. Like when she's with Mike Douglas talking about going back to her high school reunion, she comes across as someone who's just really like happy and kind of free. Mm -hmm. I think it is tempting to say then that she, wasn't disciplined or like she couldn't or wasn't ambitious right but in in fact she's quite obviously a brilliant artist who knows what she fucking wants and this reminds me um (laughs) when i was 14 i was definitely eighth grade so 14 or or 13 i came across her music for the first time and uh, my dad was aware that i was starting to get into music more and so he had the pearl cassette which was the first cassette tape that my dad ever bought in the 70s and then that sort of led me to other songs. I so clearly remember feeling so emotionally connected to Peace of My Heart, a song that, like Get It While You Can, was co-written by a man named Bert Burns. But I felt so connected to her performance of Peace of My Heart that at the age of 14, for a moment, I did seriously think I might be the resurrection of Janis Joplin. Like I actually thought, and I'm not even joking, I, was at, I remember I was in my kitchen thinking, I think I actually might be Janis Joplin. Like, that is how oh. much I heard something in her that resonated with me. And I just... But what's great is that even as I've aged out of thinking that way, 
unlike so many songs that one loves when one is a teenager, this is still good. Like, it doesn't need apology, it doesn't need context, it just needs to be, and it's amazing. And I, one thing that I found in doing some research about this song for our discussion today that I find pretty moving is that because this was the last song on Pearl, and mm -hmm. Pearl obviously was Janis Joplin's last release as a, when she was alive. I believe she was not alive. But, you know, but yeah, but it was like, uh, you're right, it was released posthumously, but like, this was the last thing that she was making when right. she was alive. And then it came out after she died. But And then Me and Bobby McGee became one of the rare posthumous number one songs on the American charts. And I think that was the... Oh, no, it was Mercedes-Benz. That was the very last recording. No. I believe. That she did. Oh, that, that Yeah, she... for this, in that session for Pearl. Oh, yeah, that actually sounds right. But anyway, point being, the way that this is tracked, though, Get It You while can all you... Wikipedia this just like I did. But Get It While You Can is the last song on the Pearl track list. Right. So there's something kind of nice, like the, her last message, or somehow, is just go get love while you can get love. Yeah, and don't, yeah, like, don't judge yourself. Just, do what, like, do what you have to do. Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, it also is a reminder, too, mentioning me and Bobby McGee, like, that, the fact that that song went to number one after she died... It's, it's like, uh, it's so bittersweet because that was when she had her biggest breakthrough. And then you think, oh, of course, you can't help but wonder what, what might she have released next. But for someone who really did not release that much music in her lifetime, she released so much music, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I feel like there's, I have the, the box set, so I have everything that she ever recorded. And every single thing on that box set is important sounding to me. It just needs to be heard. And she didn't have many duds. And I think it's incredible. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are some that I don't... They're, like, a little overplayed by, like, that first person in your group who learns to play the guitar. Right, sure. There are some that you're like, I'm, I'm kind of done with that. But another thing... Um, another thing to remember is that she was... Um, she was singing with and in front of some, like, big bands like mm -hmm. they had a big sound there were a lot of people uh i think in the case of big brother and then there was a band whose name i forget between the uh, big brother and the holding company and full tilt was Bogey. it cosmic blues band yes yeah it was, it was a, with k a k and a z oh god well whatever i got the old cosmic blues again mama i and she did um but yeah that she i think there was always this tension that she never quite resolved between you know, like she, when she finally figured it out with Full Tilt Boogie, she was like, this is my band. They're my band. Right. I'm not like standing near them. They're not letting me sing over their jams. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And you can tell that they're working well together. Big Brother is sort of like a different right. sound where like, it's fine, man. No one's giving orders here. When really... Big Brother, or like whoever the lead guitarist was in that band, was probably like not that excited that right. Janice was the focal point, but that she was holding her own vocally in arrangements that sometimes sound like they are they're trying to break her. But, well, I feel like a great example of that is "I Need a Man to Love." Mm -hmm. That song is so loud, but she will actually not. She be is pushed out not. Of it. Yeah. And she's like screaming. It's like t there's one point where I think she's like tooth and throat singing. 
There's like <laughs> four, and then there's like something with her nostril, and then she like brings a hawk on stage. Just kidding. She didn't do that, but she would have. That she yeah. like, when it came down to it, she was like, no. Like, I'm in front. I have the mic. Fuck you. Yeah. And I think she was very conflicted about it and took a lot of shit for it, and that still happens to small business women. Of the day. <laughs> yes. Here in 2016, but I just think she's great, and I think that the world is a lesser place. She and Freddie Mercury, I hope, are mm. protecting us all, because the loss of the two of them, I sort of feel in this strangely personal way like I knew them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have another song to talk about today, yes. and I'm really interested to hear why you wanted to pair this Brandy Carlisle song with this Janis Joplin track. Well, a couple of things. One is that Brandy Carlisle to me is clearly one of the daughters of Janis Joplin's legacy because Brandy Carlisle. I would agree with that. For those who do not know Brandy Carlisle's music, this lady rocks <laughs> out. I mean, so I wanted to pair uh, Janis Joplin with Brandy Carlisle for one reason because I think that Brandy Carlisle is very much a daughter of Janis Joplin's legacy. Yeah. For the, I, now that I think about it. I agree. Because for those who do not know Brandi Carlisle's music, she is a wailing rock goddess. And she is someone who is not afraid to just shred the guitar, shred the vocals. I mean, she is someone who is emotionally raw, but also in control. She very much is the head of her band. She performs very often with two twin brothers. Um, she also is rooted in, like, uh, folk rock music, but there's just that rock quality to her that I always love. And... I saw her in concert a few months ago for the second time and heard her perform the song that we're about to play and I had not heard it before. And I just wanted to talk about the song because it's like a new discovery to me and I found it incredibly moving when she sang it live. But the name of the song is That Year. And it's a song that she wrote about a friend of hers who committed suicide when he was 16. And she spent 10 years being angry at him about it and then one day had a dream about him and then realized that she had made mistakes in the way that she had treated his memory. And she wrote a song trying to make amends to his memory. And I just think there's something nice about that kind of song, looking back and talking to someone you've lost, being paired with a song about getting it while you can in terms of love, happiness, contentment. So let's listen to a little snip, it, <laughs> of That Year by Brandy Carlin. It must have been not I don't love it I don't hate it I'm not gonna run from the room when it's on it's not jewel um 
but it it feels a little affected and like it's maybe that's not the right word but it feels a little like it's struggling with the like the truth mm. like the facts um which are different from the truth uh the facts at the center of the subject of the song and her relationship with her friend um i i feel like if it were like i think it's the melody mm. Because the lyrics, like, when you listen to it or you sort of look at them when you're not listening to the song and you just read the lyrics, that, like, lyrically, it's quite wonderful. It's very spare. You definitely get a sense of what happened, but she doesn't underline it too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And the melody has the right, like, tonally it's correct, but there's something about the swoops up into the high register. I don't know. It's just not, I don't love it. Huh. Well, hey, listen. This I want pod- to. This podcast is a place I, for freedom. I think that you're... I like your thought process about why this goes well with the Janice. I don't disagree with that part. Mm-hmm. I definitely think she is like Janice's sort of musical child or mm-hmm. Dutch niece or whatever you want to say. But. <laughs> Boston marriage wife for Yeah, her. okay. But I think that... Some you know, relation. It, it's so interesting that you... Because the things that you don't like, weirdly enough, are the things I really love. Because to me, the melody to me and the lyrics both are so restrained. And there's something about that for me that makes the grief feel almost overwhelming. Because she's so... To me, the the feeling in the song is so real that it can only be expressed quietly. That's just a thing that's very true for me in all art. When anyone is expressing grief quietly and in a way that's hesitant or halting it fucking destroys me yeah and i think that just for me i feel like that this song completely kills me because it is so quiet and also there's just to me something like the line you were blue-eyed and so special to us i mean i know that that line is a tough one yeah and i don't think she made any bad choices here like i do think that like the fact that it's not stuck, but that she stays up in that uh, like upper part of the cliff uh-huh. um, is supposed to reflect a certain childlike understanding of the situation, or like a you know that she has been actually stuck right. in that place with it mentally. Right. Um, like she, you know, she did all the right things, sort of in theory. Uh huh. But like orally, it's it just doesn't. It's like so not quite pleasant. I don't know why. But you know, I kind of love that. That's I like. That's why I like talking about these sorts of things because yeah. clearly, well, it's like David Lynch that it's like I absolutely get what you're doing, and I think it's important that you do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it. Meanwhile, I'm over here if, to continue that. I'm over here <coughs> creating zines about Blue Velvet because I just think this song. It, I almost cried listening to it, just the snippet of it. And uh, one last thing I do want to say is that I think the. The, the phrase, 10 years I never spoke your name, now it feels good to say it, you're my friend again, that sense that, like, that wording that he's still alive to her, oh, God, it just kills me. Well, it's, not, it's not that it feels good to say you were my friend. It feels good to say that I forgive you. No, it's you, you're my friend again. Like, you are dead, but you are still alive to me. And again, I don't know, it just like, gets me. There's some, like, yeah, there Emily is. in our town something happening in there. Yeah, oh, Emily. Especially as played by Rayanne. Yeah, oh my god, yes! Um, yeah, I 
I think it's really great also that, like, from the perspective of the lyrics, that she is, um, like, there is some conflict in the song, but she's also, like, unapologetically, like, she was angry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, like, we all understand now, in 2016, is sort of an appropriate um, part of grief, is Mm. that anger that you feel mm-hmm. at abandonment mm-hmm. regardless of the circumstances. But I think particularly in the case of someone taking his or her own life, that it's like very fraught to talk about how pissed off and ripped off you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's where she starts mm-hmm. here. And I think it's really a bold choice. Like lyrically, I have no quibble. Yeah. Well, along those lines, I don't want to put you on the spot, but would you care to mention to our listeners who may not know her music, any of the Brandy Carlisle songs that you would recommend? Uh, sure. Let me just step into iTunes here, because uh, it used to be that I knew track numbers <laughs> Back um, in the day. and song names, but that's not the world that we live in any longer. Um, I like Someday Never Comes, mm. mm-hmm. because it's like, I think sometimes you get used to like every like every song trying to be all songs. And when you've sort of just wrapped a season of American Idol and it's like, this song is trying to press your pants and like open a can of spam and it just needs to calm down. Um, And what I like about Brandy Carlisle generally is that the song, they're not like minor, they're Mm -hmm. not insignificant, but they're like very focused Mm. and they do what they're trying to do. And no mm-hmm. more. So Someday Never Comes, I think, is a good example of that. And her voice is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she is a she is a professional. Like, she knows what she's doing. You can't send up what you don't have down. Right. It's rule number one of living. And she has it down. And that's, I think, my favorite similarity of hers to Janice is that even if her lyrics and the, the melody that she chooses to pair with her lyrics is suggesting um, insecurity or depression or um, ambivalence, that there is an underlying confidence in her ability to express Mm. those things. Mm. That is, that that's what makes it art Mm. in both cases. I think that's great. And I feel like that period on that sentence. And we're excited to say that next week we will be welcoming the return of our beloved special guest, Joe Reed. That's him, y'all. That's me, you guys. And hey, Joe, no spoilers, but what decade are you taking us to next week? Taking us to the groovy, swinging 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those 80s. (laughs) Way better than the regular 80s. Right, yes. Stay tuned, everyone, and trust me, the song Joe's chosen means you should get excited. Yes. Bye. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is created and hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. If you'd like to request a song for discussion or share the mixed tape of your soul, send us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com or tweet us at talksongs. Our theme music is written and performed by David Gregory Byrne, and if you want to submit a theme, send that to talkaboutsongs at gmail.com too. Just keep it under 15 seconds and please use the full name of the podcast. And, of course, if you'd like to buy an ad, we welcome you. Advertise your business, send a personal message, or just hum a few bars. We don't really care. We're into it. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com to start advertising.
Until next week, this is Mark. This is Sarah. And this and was, this was Mark, Mark and Sarah, Sarah Talk About Songs. Sometimes in unison. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.